for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Uh, I'm going to have a very serious conversation with you today about no, titled No Fear. And I'm going to explain to you why I've titled this later, but I'm going to talk to you about No Fear. And I'm going to start by saying this. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the last 25 years. Did you hear me? 40 million people have stopped attending church in the last 25 years. That's 25% of America's population. The largest concentration in church attendance decline in American history over the last 25 years. It's just disconcerting to anybody but me. Because at this rate, if it keeps going at this rate, a generation from now, the churches we understand it won't exist. The church is going to exist until Jesus comes back. The church in which we understand it and how we understand it, whether we're in public or having to hide it or whatever, is going to change if we don't start paying attention to these numbers and do something about them. Amen? Now, here's the thing. You ever wonder why? You ever wonder why? Because it's obvious to all of us. Like, I've not told you anything, maybe a specific number, that probably surprised you. The church is in decline. You see churches closing all the time. So I've not said it, but do you ever wonder why? And here's the reason why I think that backs up the data. It's because people are looking for real-world answers to real-world problems, and the church hasn't positioned themselves in a place to be able to give those Real-world solutions because we're scared of it. Amen? Amen? Am I not right? They come looking for hope. And what do we tell them? We tell them, oh, don't worry about it. Where God closes a door, he opens a window. No, that's not true. Sometimes God closes a door because you're in the room you're supposed to be in. And so stay faithful or you weren't supposed to go in that room at all. He's not, he's not going to give you access to, to enter out of a space just because you want it, make that space a little less, less convenient than a door. He just shut the door. But we don't want to tell people that because we want to blow into their dream, make them believe that this is God's will for their life, even when it's obvious it isn't their will for life, God's will for their life. So they ask for hope, and we give them some base answer that doubt, that's flimsy and holds no meaning. Or they ask for peace. And, and we say stuff like, everything happens for a reason, brother. It's going to be okay. I don't know about y'all, but I want to punch. I've got to the place. I just about want to punch everybody in the mouth says that to me. <laughs> because what we should say is, listen, I understand you don't have peace. I understand peace is an elusive thing. But if you'll take two seconds, can we turn to Philippians 4? And I will tell I'm not asking you to do it. It's the conversation I hope that you have. Can we turn to Philippians 4 where God says how you can have peace even in your anxiety? And we tell them the truth. That's not a flimsy answer. That's the word of God. That's what they can hold their hope in. Amen? Amen. People come looking for hope. They come looking for peace. They come looking for solutions to their problems. And we say stuff like this. Well, son, 
said, all right, God ain't going to put nothing on you. You can't handle it. Well, that's a lie too. But you're all, Pastor Jim, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No, sir, no, ma'am. That's half of what it says in 10 and 13. The other half is that he'll provide an avenue of escape for two reasons. One, to let you know he does care about you and love you. And two, to see if you'll have enough faith in him to accept that way out, knowing that he'll keep you in that way out. It's not enough to just say this flimsy answer. And when people get flimsy answers, you know what they do? You know what I do when I get flimsy answers from people I want hard answers from? I stop asking them questions. And so the church has stopped being asked hard questions because the church hadn't been reliable, reliable enough over the last 25 years, probably a little longer, to give hard answers. Sometimes your life is the way that it is because you made bad decisions, and it's your fault. Oh, well, the enemy's attacking me. Enemy's not attacking you, brother. Your alcohol problem is attacking you and your finances. Stop making that decision. All right. The world needs real answers. Why am I talking about this? Because I'm not arguing the validity of any of these statements. Just that they're not enough. The truth is, we haven't offered any real contextual solutions. Christian cliches are killing the church. The world wants and needs substance. Amen? I bring all that up to tell you that one of the most common cliches and speak to you, speak to one of the most common cliches I hear told in the church today, especially since COVID. Faith can't exist in the presence of fear. That's a lie. If someone tells you faith can't, or if I tell someone who says, man, I'm scared. And, they, and I look at them and say, well, then you have no faith because faith can't exist in the presence of fear. What have I just done? I've condemned them. We need to stop. We need to say it's okay to be fearful, but in your fear, let it be submissive to your faith and move forward anyway. We have to have some level of fear if we're going to be courageous. Did you know that? Because fear or courage, without fear, there would be no need for courage. I want y'all to sit on that for a second. Without fear, there would be no need for courage. Without fear, there'd be no real need for faith because anybody that's ever done anything great for God feared but moved through faith, grew in their faith, and ultimately, probably, maybe, found no fear at all. Maybe not until they got in heaven. They, they, they probably walked in some level of fear because the big thing God wants of you and God wants something big from all of you should be beyond your grasp. And when it's beyond your grasp and you can't quite get to it and you know that this is what God called you to, 
it creates tension in us. It creates frustration in us. It creates fear in us. Amen? So we have to stop telling people, well, faith can't exist in the presence of fear because then we're liars. Now, I could say this, and I could say this generally, and I could motivate you and be like, yeah, that's right, that's right. But if I can't prove it to you in Scripture, I need you to keep my mouth shut. Amen? So I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture in three different instances. I've got three biblical examples of faith-filled fear. I'm going to talk about Jacob and Esau. I'm going to talk about Moses, and I'm going to talk about Joshua. Jacob feared Esau. Y'all know Jacob feared Esau. I'll explain why in just a second. But having heard from God, walked in faith anyway. That's going to be the theme you're going to hear through this whole thing. So-and-so heard from God, caused some fear, but they walked in faith anyway. If I had one thing to say to you, if you've heard from God, and all of you have heard from God, I am certain of it. Even if it's fearful, walk in faith anyway. Jacob heard from God and is the same for all the examples I'm going to give. Faith comes by what? Hearing what? Word of Christ. Word of God. Amen? And so he heard from God, which means he had to have some level of faith. If you know anything about Jacob, you knew he beat his brother Esau out of his inheritance for a couple of lentils. And if you know anything about Esau, you know that Esau was a manly man, a hunter, a mountain of a man, probably pretty dangerous and scary to look at the way he's described in Scripture. And Joseph was the preferred son who liked to stay at home with his mom. So he probably wasn't all big and rugged and all of those kinds of things. And since he was born second, the inheritance of their father went would go to Esau. Not Jacob, but Jacob wanted it. So Jacob devised a plan to trick him and did. Planned a uh, scheme to trick his father, and he did. And inherited Esau's blessing. And I tell you, if I'm going to try to steal something from somebody, it's not going to be somebody bigger, meaner, uglier, stronger than me. And if I did, I'd be fearful. Amen? And so, it says this. Afraid Esau would kill him, Jacob's mother told him to flee into the land of Laban. Laban. I really want to say Lebanon. Some of y'all might be here from fear. Hiding out from something. You need to go figure out what that is. That's Genesis 27, 43, just in case you're curious. Jacob's mother says, you can't be here. Your brother's going to kill you. You need to go away. His intent was to stay there just for a little while until your brother's anger ebbs. He ends up staying 20 years for a bunch of different reasons, but he ends up staying 20 years. But then God spoke to Joshua or to uh, Jacob. It's different when your mama speaks to you than when God speaks to you. And God said this as Genesis 31.3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Everybody all right? Because there's two things I want you to pay attention, the command and the promise. Go, and I am with you. And God is not a liar. 
Go, and I am with you. What kind of terror after 20 years did you think you put it, that put in Jacob's heart? Because as far as he knew, his brother still wanted to kill him. His brother had been without for 20 years. His brother's anger surely grew and grew and grew because when you're separate in relationship, that's what happens. Bitterness sets in and you get angrier and angrier and angrier because you don't talk it out. And, but he declares that he's going to do what he's going to do because God said go and that he would be with him. So Jacob needed this prompt. And his comfort Remember that Esau still wanted to kill him. Genesis 32, 6 through 7 reads like this. So Esau's on his way back. He gets freaked out a little bit. He sends some people to go and scout for Esau. And this is the message they came back with. The message is returned saying, we came to your brother Esau. We found him. And furthermore, he's coming to meet you. And 400 men with him. Why would he have 400 men with him if he wasn't thinking he was going to kill him? So now his fear escalates, but he still does it. Jacob cries out to God in Genesis 32, 11, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. So much so that he sent half of the people back across the river just in case that's what happened. So he was fearful. But you know what's beautiful? When Esau saw Jacob, he ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and there was forgiveness. Man, when God says go, but I'm going to be with you, I guarantee whatever fear you're heading toward, God's already tilled the soil prior to your getting there. When he saw Esau running at him, I'm sure he took up a fighting position. Oh, this is going to be bad. But imagine him instead of fighting, embracing him, falling at his feet, loving him, kissing him, telling him how much he missed him. That's what happens when you walk in fear but don't allow it to, be ecl to eclipse your faith. God shows up. Amen? Everybody all right? Moses feared going to Egypt, but having heard from God, walked in faith anyway. You know why Moses left Egypt in the first place after having been raised there inside the Pharaoh's house? Because he was a murderer. He was scared for his own life. And he went and lived in the desert for 40 years, met a woman, tended sheep, married her, Jethro's daughter. And then one day he's out tending sheep, still convinced that he's probably got a warrant for his murder out in Egypt. And a burning bush in the middle of the desert starts talking to him. It's interesting to me. And I don't know why this is interesting to me, but it says there was a burning bush, but God didn't start talking to him until he turned towards it. It says he's burning bush, like he must have caught it in the corner of his eye. God didn't say nothing. And then it specifically says, and then he turned to see what that was about. 
Oh, that's weird. And God started speaking to him. Maybe some of us aren't hearing from God because we won't turn, we won't turn our heel towards the sign he's given us to listen. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good preaching right there. Y'all need to write that down. But anyway, <laughs> that was good. So he escapes from the debtor for 40 years. And God tells him in Genesis 3, this is a paraphrase. You can go read it. I have chosen you to return to Egypt. What? I have heard their cries, not yours. I ain't worried about you. I'll take care of you. I've heard their cries. I have remembered my covenant with Abraham. And again, I'm sending you. Moses made four statements that prove his fear. And they show an incrementally higher level of fear in each statement. Listen to this. Exodus 3.11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? It's a statement of fear. Who, who am I? I'm not enough to do that. What if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? Exodus 4.1. Then he starts with a please. Please, Lord. I've never been eloquent. He's trying to get out of this. Neither recently nor in times past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow in tongue, Exodus 4.10. And then he says again, please, Lord, in Exodus 4.13, now send this message by whomever you will. And so he keeps saying, incrementally, more, more declaratively, God, it can't be me. It can't be me. Here's the reasons it can't be me. And then after 4.13, you're going to hear, and then God burned with anger against Moses. He's all, I don't care what you say. I've told you what to do. Why are we still talking about this? Amen? And I wonder how often God says that kind of stuff to us. I don't care if you're scared. Don't let your fear eclipse your faith and move forward and do what I've called you to do. And as we know, Moses accepted the commission, even though he was fearful. Imagine making that journey from the desert, far enough away in the desert, however far that was, that Egypt didn't know where he was, back to Egypt. Every single step had to be fearful. He was going back to a country where he killed somebody to declare that they couldn't keep their slaves anymore. And God showed out. We'd be foolish to think there wasn't some level of fear in him. Amen? But Moses, in hearing God, being obedient, even in fear, found freedom, both for himself and for his people. Amen? And then finally, this isn't the last piece of the sermon, but in regard to biblical Examples, Joshua feared the promised land. But having heard from God, walked in faith anyway. He walked in the desert for 40 years with an unbelieving generation who all had to die off before he could get there. Then God called him to be the one to lead them there. And in Joshua 1, 1 through 9, 
God tells three times, not just once, three times, be strong and courageous. In verse 9, he adds, have I not commanded you? Which means God needed to emphasize, listen, you're not paying attention. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be te- tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, you are talking, let's just break this down for a second. Listen to me. Stop talking. Be strong and courageous. Do not be do not tremble or be dismayed, for I am going to go with you. So essentially, he's telling him the same thing he told everybody else. Go, I am with you. When God speaks, our job is to set aside our fear, not expect it to be eliminated, and let our faith eclipse it. Amen? And so, Joshua did. He said, I am with you. This bolsters our faith. It eliminates our fear. Because God proves himself over and over to be faithful as his word declares. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says this. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations. Or in Jacob's case, 20 years. In Moses' case, 40 years. And in Joshua's case, 40 years. Your faithfulness right now and your trust even through your fear ensures the faithfulness of God to the thousandth generation or until he comes back. Well, you guys carry a mantle you don't even realize you carry, but you have to step out in faith to, to, to receive it. Amen? Fear may be ultimately eliminated, but... God keeps his commandments. Amen? God, that's so good. Joshua, in hearing God, being obedient, even in fear, found freedom for himself and for his people by promising the, by conquering the promised land. Y'all hearing a theme here? So-and-so heard from God, and even though they feared, walked in faith, and found freedom. That's what I want for you. But can I tell you, this plays out in real life too. This plays out in your life too. Amen? I can remember I was 18 years old, first time I jumped out of an airplane. Bro, I was scared. I wasn't saved then, so my faith was in my gear. That's all I had faith in, my jump master. But I was freaking out. My heart race. I'm scared of heights. Did y'all know that? One of the reasons I joined Airborne is to get over that fear because somebody told me if you face it, you'll get over it. That's kind of true. But I, I mean, I was scared every time I jumped out of an airplane. But I jumped out of an airplane because I trusted, had faith in my gear. I had faith in my jump master. And I wasn't going to look like a sissy in front of 60-something other dudes. Amen. It's just the truth. But let's bring it into the spiritual. I was a 20-year law enforcement officer who only had six years to prepare from 2006 to 2012 before I got called, before my pastor called me and asked me if I'd come join church ministry full-time. 
Y'all don't know my pastor. I do. He fired people for fun, it seemed like. There was, I was going from an absolute secure position to I may not even work here three months from now. I had to retire early to go take a job that might last three months that I had never been tested in, really, that I, I wasn't sure I could do. I was fearful of that. But you know what? My fear was eclipsed by the faith that God gave me a calling the day I was saved in 2006. He said, I've called you to ministry. I just didn't know what that looked like. And so as he starts to reveal what that looks like, I step into it because my faith is greater than my fear, but it doesn't eliminate my fear. Can I tell you, for the first three months, I hid under my desk just praying somebody didn't figure out I wasn't qualified to be there. And that's the truth. I mean, I didn't hide under my desk literally, but you know what I'm saying. And then I finally get comfortable there. My pastor loves me. He says, you'll be here as long as you want to be here. And four years in, God says, ha-ha, you're going to leave the comfort of this place and you're going to go to the even more insecure church planning place. So, man, I got a pretty good salary here. I mean, I work long hours, but I know what I'm doing. My fear is starting to ebb a little bit. I still had a little fear there. And God said, I don't care. I don't care about that. Do what I tell you, and I'll be with you. And so this place happened. And hundreds of people have been saved here. Hundreds of people have recommitted their life here. I see light bulbs go on here. I see lives change. I see families put back together. I see love and family and service here that I didn't necessarily see there. Not that those things weren't happening there, but they mean something different from this place than they do the place I was at. And I would have known none of that had I allowed my fear to eclipse my faith. Can I tell you, I'm scared this morning. I was telling somebody jokingly today, or this week, I said, you know, I throw a party every week. And then pray somebody shows up. And that's the truth. Because y'all don't have to be here. But I'm thankful that you are. But it creates some tension in me. But not so much that I'm going to set my faith aside for it. Amen? I can prove this to you, not just in my own life. But I got a phone call this week that encouraged me. Drive me in my tracks, honestly. It's a young man in this church. He wouldn't mind me giving his name, would he? You think he'd mind me giving his name? His name's Eli Sharp. And he called me and he said, Pastor, he said, I was hanging out at the parking lot with my buddies at high school, I think that's how he said it. And God just told me, he said, you need to preach the gospel to them. And if you don't know Eli at all, Eli doesn't talk much. Like none. I didn't even know he could until he'd been here about three months. And, uh, and so he was scared to death. He used these words. My hands were trembling, but I knew what I was supposed to do. And so I reached in my truck and I grabbed my Bible. High school boy, keep a Bible in his truck, pretty big deal. And I opened it up. And there in front of all of my friends, I told them the gospel. 
Some of them wouldn't even look at me. I was nervous. I was sweating. It's, you know, it's, there's tension there. There's fear there. And he got done. None of them received Jesus, but all of them asked him to do it again. That's being fearful, but walking in faith. And I believe his ability to walk in faith, even though he was fearful, is going to create freedom, not only for his future, because he believes he's been called to ministry, but also for the future of those young men and women he was talking to. Amen? Because the word of God doesn't return void. Somebody caught a hold of that. There's a reason the Spirit said, do this, do this right now. And I praise God for faithful young men, old men, young women, old women, who go beyond their fear and walk in faith. Amen? Finally, we have the ability to walk in faith because Christ was faithful even in his fear. Now, I know this is going to sound strange to your ears, but listen. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times the same prayer. Let me read these three prayers to you real fast. And he went a little beyond them. As you know, he went, left his disciples. They fell asleep three times. I'm not going to get into that. Specifically the prayer. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. 42. So he goes back to his disciples, comes back. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this can, cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. He goes back, finds him sleeping again. And then 44, he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. You know, he was God. God can't be afraid. He was Jesus. He was fully flesh and fully deity. The fully flesh part of him knew because he was full deity what he was about to experience. And he was scared of it. His flesh man was scared of that. There's a lot of conjecture in a church about what the cup is. I'll tell you what the cup is. The cup is the cup of wrath. If you'll look, and I'm not going to read these verses to you, but Jeremiah, if you want to write them down, Jeremiah 25, 15 Isaiah 51, 17. Revelation 14, 9 through 10. All talk about the cup of wrath being poured out. He knew he was about to receive the cup of wrath. Fully human, fully deity. This had to create fear in him. But he didn't allow his fear to eclipse his faith. What did he say? He knew God was with him. So he said, but your will be done. That's what Eli said this week. That's what I said when I took on ministry. It's what you should be saying when God calls you to something. I don't want to take it. But if it's for you, so that I may be free of this conviction, and whoever I'm speaking to may be free of the bondage they're in, then I will. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Amen? By submitting himself to God's will, Jesus became the propitiation for our sins, the replacement for our sins. He laid down his life on the cross of Calvary and paid the price of atonement to buy us back. 
out of darkness into the kingdom of light so that we would belong to him. Amen? So that we could say, whosoever will believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And count on that as an absolute promise of God. Hebrews 2.17, there's four. He would made... He was made like his brethren, that's Jesus, in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to experience the stuff we experienced, which had to have been horrible, so that he could speak, so he could sacrifice on our behalf. This is why Jesus was sitting, willing to set his fear aside and walk in faith. The great thing about Jesus is that even though Jacob, Moses, or Joshua heard from God, he heard and found freedom. He heard from God, walked in obedience, and didn't find freedom for himself. He found freedom for you. And that's why our calling is so important. Because we don't just find freedom for us. We find freedom for them. And that is the Great Commission. That's what we're called to. Amen. So the next time someone tells you fear can't exist, in an at or faith can't exist in an atmosphere of fear, you tell them that's not true. Let me take that cliche out of your mouth so that you're not condemned and so that you can walk even in fear towards the glorious future God's provided for you. Amen? I want to pray for this whole church as a, as a whole that God give us the ability to walk in faith beyond our fear, to know fear, K-N-O-W, follow faith until there is no fear, N-O which is the reason this is titled the way that it is. So if you don't mind, as I pray for you, would you stand? Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are an encouraging God, a challenging God, a God that calls us to hard things. And because you've called us to hard things, Lord, we we know that, that we're going to have this fear, faith, tension in our life. But God, I pray for me. I pray for the people in this room. I pray for the people within the sound of my voice. God, that they don't allow their fear to eclipse their faith and move forward in their calling. I am convinced that so many people know what their calling is, but because they're scared of it, they won't step into it. Let me, let me implore you, God, show them that you command them, but that you are with them and build their faith. I praise you, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word, that it's able to just really cut us where we've been told traditionally things that may not be true. God, we worship you. We praise you. Let us take the truth of your word and implant it in us so that you might be glorified through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.